Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are starting our read-through of Catching Fire. Hooray! Yes, it is great to get back into the books after taking sort of a week off. Our our patrons got something, but a week off from our read-throughs. So, yes. Chris, can you give us a recap of what happens in chapters one and two of Catching Fire? I sure can. (laughs) So we open on Katniss out hunting, dreading the victory tour, which starts that day, and catching us up on what has changed since the end of the first book, with Gail now working and her living in a fancy new house. She drops off game to Gail's mom, and then buys food and supplies in the hob. She then goes to wake up Hamish and has an awkward meeting with Peeta, and then returns home to find President Snow waiting for her. Gross. They agree not to lie to one another, and he tells her that after her berry stunt, some districts have been close to uprisings. And Snow says that she needs to help dampen the flames before they devour Pan Am. He threatens Gale and shows he knows their time hunting together, causing Katniss to remember the one time that Gale kissed her in the woods, and how it has irrevocably changed their relationship. Katniss agrees to do whatever it takes to convince Pan Am, and even Snow, that she is wildly in love with Peeta, and Snow leaves after whispering in her ear that he knows about the kiss. You don't want Snow to whisper anything in your ear ever. Definitely not. No, thank you. So why don't we get into it and look at our striking moments, which are things that we are realizing for the first time, a new insight we have reading these chapters. So what were you thinking about? Yeah, one thing that really caught my eye was right in the first paragraph, how the book opens with not explicit, but clear allusions to the Hunger Games, to the first book. She talks about how if she was to be ambushed by a pack of wild dogs, the odds would not be in her favor. And Mm -hmm. to me, having just read and talked about the end of the Hunger Games, it really came to mind the idea of the pack of the mutts that she had to deal with. And then, of course, the odds being in her favor a line that is very much tied to the Hunger Games. So I thought that was a clever way of kind of putting the reader back into that mentality very quickly without having to explicitly make it seem like she is doing something dangerous, um, but just using language that, that makes those connections. And I think it's also interesting because it shows a little clue into her reality after the games and kind of where she's emotionally at. She knows this, mm-hmm. but she doesn't care that much. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, yeah, it shows that the games impacted her and her mental health to such a great degree already. Absolutely, yeah. She very quickly starts to talk about how she's dreading the Victory Tour, and she describes how the Victory Tour is the way that the capital keeps the games fresh and immediate, mm-hmm. and how the districts are forced to celebrate this really awful event of the Hunger Games. So yeah, I just, I think it's a really good, quick encapsulation of, yeah, the danger that she went through, how it's affected her, and the ways that the games are entirely about the capital's wishes and the capital's control. Which actually leads me to one of my striking moments, and then we'll go back to yours. Just that when she was thinking about the victory tour and dreading it, there was a line that like, she'll have to be looking down at the faces of cheering crowds Mm. who secretly loathe her it just kind of struck me how how much control the capital has over grieving because 
she's gonna look at family members of loved ones of these people she killed or that were in the same games as her and she's the one who survived and their district has to act happy when also i mean not just that it's somebody that died but also that district isn't getting the extra food so some of them are starving because she and pito won i mean really because it's because of the capital of but course from how it would feel mm-hmm. uh, um yeah just that making me think about how the capital makes people in the districts even play a part in their show yeah yeah how how they require performativity mm-hmm. exactly it's not just the tributes yeah but what what else were you thinking about yeah the, the one other point that really was interesting was her mentioning how she sees their old home in the seam as her real home that's where she keeps some of her things and in particular her hunting things and her dad's jacket and after reading that I was going through the rest of the chapter and she does still continue to call the Victor's Village house their their home. And so it just made me start thinking about, yeah, what, what does home mean? And how it's interesting that for Katniss, who is someone who constantly thought about how she was going to try to win in the Hunger Games to make it back to Prim in particular, make it back to her family, that a sense of home isn't necessarily where her family is. I think there's an aspect to it there, but there's also an element of what it means for her in regards to community mm-hmm. and how she's a member of the seam and that's her community. Whereas the Victor's village is much more about her being a victor, her being a part of the capital and the capital's machinations. And so, yeah, I just, I thought it was really, really interesting to think about what it means to, to have a home or to think of a home and when you are at home and how for her, she's more at home alone in this abandoned house in the seam than she would be in the Victor's Village. Yeah, definitely. That That is interesting. I also wonder how her father has a role to play in that too. Mm, yeah. Because I don't have any experience in this, so I, I can only wonder about it, what it would be like to have one of your parents die while you were living in a specific home, and now you're suddenly in this home outside of your community, and how do you think about home you know what is the time you think about that would have both of our parents there it seems like it for Katniss at least yeah that is interesting I didn't have anything near that situation but my dad passed a couple years ago when we were wondering what we wanted to do with his remains he, he was cremated and we were thinking that because none of us live in a home where we all live together it felt weird of like oh okay so where would where would we keep those and for many of us, it felt like, oh, we should take it to our, our grandmother's house where we haven't lived. But he lived for a long time, of course. And then, you know, it was a family home that he was still a part of. Whereas our homes that we have now were never really family homes in the same way. So, yeah, I, I can see a little bit of, of that and understand that and how wanting to share a physical space that meant something to your relationship with them when they were alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you? What other striking moments do you have? Another question I had kind of about that home situation that never really came to me before is just, do they have universal housing mm. in District 12? She said that they still get to keep the home because it's the official dwelling mm. of her mom and Prim, and if she were to die, they would return to it. 
this is their official, like this is what is on the documents. So it's controlled by the Capitol, yeah. which then would really make me wonder how that plays into the merchant class versus the seam and how much the Capitol controls where people are living and in so doing perpetuating inequalities even more so within the district oh absolutely yeah that's fascinating uh there could be a really great touch point about that and redlining and all Mm. the ways that government initiatives have led to the forced segregation of people both explicitly and implicitly Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah i was also kind of thinking about songbirds and snakes a lot because this is the first time I'm reading this book after having read that a couple years ago. And that made me take a little more note of when Katniss goes into Hamish's place and mentions different smells that are kind of assaulting her senses. One of them is boiled cabbage, which definitely brought me to Songbirds and Snakes because that's the opening Mm. of that book. Snow with boiling cabbage and him like hating it and thinking like, I'm never going to eat this again. It's a symbol of poverty. Mm -hmm. But even though Hamish has enough so that he doesn't need to eat that, like he could eat all sorts of other things, he came from the seam and that's what he's choosing to make, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. But yeah, why don't we move into our from another point of view, and that is where we are looking at a scene or something that's happening from a point of view other than Katniss's. Yeah, so one I had was of Gail's mother, Hazel. Mm. And in particular, the last line that she says to Katniss after Katniss drops off the game and they talk a little bit about the victory tour, saying goodbye, she says, enjoy the food. I know, I loved that. And... I was thinking about, you know, what she could mean by that, because it could just be, you know, oh, you get to eat good food, and I know that stew that you liked. But I also think that there's a little bit there of take advantage of the capitals, what the capital gives you, because Mm. they have the resources. It's not wrong to eat the food, because if anything, you're taking something from them. Mm. Um, So I just kind of saw like a very kind of limited rebellious nature to it of, oh, you're going to have to engage with the capital, but hey, enjoy the food, Mm. Um, which I thought was interesting. Interesting. When I read that, I took it a different way. I took it as, I know this is the only thing you could possibly enjoy Mm. during your time. So at least enjoy that part. Mm. But yeah, interesting interpretation. Yeah. Yeah, this read through, it just, it kind of struck me as a very interesting line and started thinking about what it could mean. The other new point of view I had was when Katniss is describing the Victor's Village homes and she mentions that her and Peta's house are both decorated for the Harvest Festival, which I don't think I had had ever caught before, but it made me think about how with her cool relationship with Peta and Peta living alone in the Victor's Village, I wondered how their houses got decorated. If it was something from her family, like Katniss's family did together, I can imagine with Prim still still being fairly young, you know, the way that that you might do pumpkin carving. Yeah, decorating the house together, having it kind of be a family activity, uh, a festive type of thing. And then Peta being next door, doing it on his own. Aww, (laughs) Peta. It really made me start thinking about, yeah, what, what it's like for him not only to live in a home on his own, but to do so right next to Katniss and her family. Yeah, it just, it definitely made me feel like 
this must be a really hard thing for Peta in a lot of ways. But then maybe start thinking that, you know, I could also imagine Peta developing a relationship with Prim and with Katniss's mom for the times that Katniss isn't there. When she's mm-hmm. out and about in town, maybe Prim and their mom know that Katniss actually doesn't care about decorating these things. <laughs> and so they did it, they planned to do it on their own one time when she was out and they saw Peta and they did his home too. Also, it could just be that he made the decorations on his own and was like, hey, do you want some of these? Totally. And they're the only ones that took him up on it because Haymitch would be like, no, go yeah. away. That's a fun idea too, yeah. <laughs> Peter would also do that. Yeah. He brought them cookies. So yeah, it made me think of a few different things that could have been going on there. One that highlighted Peter's loneliness, mm-hmm. but another that I think, yeah, engages with the charm that he has and and the way that he can build those relationships so easily yeah it would be really cute headcanon if when she's out hunting on sundays if he just goes over and like hangs out with prim helps her with her homework or you know if if they even have homework i don't know what (laughs) education in quotes in district 12 is like but yeah yeah. so those, those are mine what about you what points of view did you have yeah well going off of Peta and Going back to the lonely, sad bit. Well, yes. <laughs> I was just thinking about the book opening with Katniss dreading this tour. Mm. And thinking about him waking up in his home just also dreading this tour. And how, I guess I never really thought enough about how difficult this victory tour is for him Mm. and how much he would be just anxious and sad about it leading up to it because he has to pretend with someone that he has feelings for that doesn't have the same feelings for him Mm -hmm. and it's uncomfortable for her because of she hasn't sorted out all of her feelings because she knows she hurt him because she wouldn't necessarily be comfortable with these things regardless of the games or it being televised. But for him, it would be uncomfortable in a completely different way. How do you engage in acting like you're in love and holding hands and kissing with someone that you know doesn't want to be doing that with you? Yeah. Yeah, I just, I think it would be so painful on top of all of the other ways that the Victory Tour is painful for victors. Absolutely, yeah. Because that's that's an experience that Katniss doesn't have. And frankly, Katniss is so strategic that usually when she's kissing him, she's thinking about a billion other things anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and not about, ooh, is he happy to be here? Is he, you know, how does he feel about me? Yeah, I can kind of just imagine him gearing himself up And just reminding himself over and over again, like, no matter what this feels like, no matter if I could think like, oh, maybe there is something, just don't believe it, you know, just telling himself not to believe it because this is all a show. Yeah. Poor PETA. I know. It's so sad. We love you, PETA. Even if Katniss doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Another She's point. got a little bit of longing in there, too. Oh, of course she does. Might as well throw that in there, too. <laughs> uh, another new point of view I was thinking about is Haymitch. Just seeing all of these starving little kids from the seam be so excited to get the food parcels. Mm. 
because Katniss mentions that. And I was just thinking about what does he feel when he sees that happening? Does it make him have another feeling of shame or something for not bringing home any other victors in the last 24 years? Yeah. Since seeing that was one of the few times Katniss has ever felt good about winning the games, I imagine the others would be when she's spending time with her mom and Prim. Yeah. And when she sees that they actually have enough to eat and they're mm-hmm. they're not as worried and struggling. Also probably seeing PETA alive around town. Hamish has none of those things. Anytime the games are coming to his mind, he just wouldn't have any occasion when he could feel anything except depressed about it he didn't get to come home with another tribute and he doesn't have family or even any loved ones in Mm -hmm. in district 12 yeah that's a really interesting perspective i'm really excited to keep going through this book i think it's going to be really fascinating to do all these sections yeah yes there's gonna be so much (laughs) but speaking of which why don't we go into our touch point section okay So these are things that we see mirroring some things in our own world, our own society. Yeah, so I had a few small ones. The first being when Katniss mentions how Gail and Hazel have been working very hard since he was 14 and his dad died in the same mining accident that Katniss's dad died in. But they're going to work extra hard to ensure that none of Gail's younger siblings would ever have to take Tesserae. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't help but think about many of my students who are very commonly first-generation students. Mm. And so in their reflective papers, they often will write about how either their parents or their family members came to America to lead to a better opportunity for their children, or how they, you know, one of their motivations for being in college themselves is to be a good example and a resource for their younger siblings, their cousins, their family members. Yeah, it just was really illustrative because for me, I'm privileged enough to be someone whose parents both went to college. I didn't have to think about those kinds of things the same way. So for someone who's been so affected by my students' writings on this subject, to see Gail and his mom also putting in just this immense amount of work to do whatever they can to ensure that the younger siblings will live safer lives is just really profound. Yeah, yeah. Another one I was thinking of was how Katniss talks about how Snow being in her house made her feel like she was the intruder. (laughs) Right. It just made me think about what it's like for some people when cops come into their neighborhood or into their home Mm. and all of a sudden they have to prove that they have a right to be there or that they aren't doing a crime just because you know they're existing in a place that the cops entered again privileged enough not to have a ton of experience with that but even i've had some and the most marginalized communities in the united states at least often get that even more so and so just the ability for power to appropriate space i think is very much seen in that that scene Mm. yeah that's that's interesting i didn't think about that at all the last touch point i had was when katniss mentions that 
she changes into shoes that are machine made and that her mother says are appropriate for someone of her status. Oh, totally. I was thinking about that too. Okay. Mm -hmm. What were you thinking? Oh, I was just thinking about her mom and class Mm -hmm. and how her mom was born and raised in the merchant class, which obviously is not great, Mm -hmm. but is still so much better off than the theme. Mm -hmm. And... And also that she had been cleaning and everything in preparation for the camera crews that were going to come to the home. So yeah, I was just kind of thinking about her still having those views that don't just disappear because you lived with less for 15 years or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely see that in myself sometimes when it's like, oh... You know, that's a more privileged perspective coming from how I grew up. Yeah, sometimes those things are are hard to shake or hard to realize you're having um, versus just thinking like, oh, this is how this is done or this is how it should be. But like, why? You know, you got to ask the why, you got to ask the hows. (laughs) Yeah, her just kind of reverting to those things again as soon as she has access to more resources like she grew up with. Absolutely. It opened up a lot of interesting dynamics in their relationship and and their own differences. But it also made me think about how clothing can impact someone's sense of belonging. Because Mm -hmm. we see Katniss feel comfortable in her worn shoes that she takes hunting in her father's jacket. We see it really kind of be a part of her identity in a way. And clothing can be such a way for people to visually represent aspects of their identity. Um, whether that be aspects of gender or culture or other kinds of of ways, you know, it's something that you have a lot of power over. But I also like how this moment highlights that your choices in how you express your identity or express what communities you feel you're a part of or, or, or that you belong to can also be judged by others. And what that might mean, particularly in a society that has oppressive hierarchies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so yeah your, your your ideas of class i think are, are a great example of that how wearing certain clothing can present images that are widely seen as class-based even if that doesn't ring true to someone's own experiences or their own identity uh, or the communities that they feel a part of yeah and i mean it would have that intersection as well because if the only people who have enough resources to buy new clothes like that are from the merchant class who are the blonde white people then by putting those clothes on that that means something too right it's it's visually distancing herself from the seam to the extent that she can exactly yeah yeah but also i mean even regardless of the different potentially positive ways that clothes as as we've talked about and as you were just talking about can impact how we feel about ourselves and our identity and stuff like there still is always some aspect of resources and class there totally because you have the resources to dress in a way that you know to, to buy things that can project a certain image yeah yeah, yeah. or you have the time resource to go to thrift stores and, you know, consignment shops and and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, did you have any other touch points? 
Yeah, I know in our read-through of the first book, at one point you were asking some questions about Gale and gender dynamics and toxic masculinity and things like that. And so that kind of came to mind in, that, in these chapters because he won't accept money from Katniss, mm. even though she has more than enough. He would rather be stuck in the mines for 12 hours a day than accept money from her. And, and so I just, I, I don't know if that's because she's a girl and because of those toxically masculine standards or if it's that he doesn't want to accept any of the capital's wealth. I'm not sure, and it doesn't explain it, and, yeah. but it also could be both. Yeah. And I think it probably is both, because she even won't bring game around if he's there. Mm -hmm. It's only when he's gone. And so I think that there is a bit of an ego there, a bit of a what should be, or at least him not liking that she's able to provide in a way that he can't. Yeah, I definitely see that too. I also had a kind of a moment this time that I'd never really noticed before, but of how the kiss between them is described, mm -hmm. where it is very oh, much yeah, like... Oh, yeah, I have that written down, oh, too. So Don't please, worry go about ahead. it. Well, before we get there... <clears throat> okay. I was also thinking about in this space of patriarchy that even when she was thinking about PETA in the games, she's realized, oh... Me outscoring him is something that a boy like him would shrug off, even though she immediately assumed that. But even acknowledging that, she was still like, oh, you know, I'll take my shoes off too. You know, she was still like minimizing herself to mm -hmm. some degree. And she's doing the same thing here towards Gail. How she told him, oh, actually, you're doing me a favor by letting me bring game to your family because like I need to get out of the house. I need to, you know, instead of just, I mean, maybe part of that's true, but another part of it is just, I don't want your family to starve and you would have done the same for me. So get over yourself, Gail, yeah. you know, but she minimizes herself. She changes a little bit who she is to try to cater to these boys' egos. I mean, again, she didn't really need to for PETA, but, like, as you can see, she's lived in an environment where she's felt that she needed to do this. That's so prevalent and common in our world. Yeah. I don't do that, as you know, but a lot of people do. I do know that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and then, yeah. That also brings us to that that kiss scene and, and what he said was, I had to do that at least once. And I'm just like, did you, Gail? You had to? Yeah. First off, he had to do that, which is, <laughs> is something. But the, even his way of wording it is so focused on he his did His experience. Not we, I had to do that with you. Mm -hmm. It's more implied, in my opinion, I had to do that to you. And... That's the way he did it as well. It's mm -hmm. that he grabbed her and he pulled her in. He, you know, she kind of talks about almost feeling captured mm -hmm. by his arms. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not great. <laughs> well, and at least once means even if you never want to do this with me again, 
I had to do that. But if she never wants to do this with you, maybe she didn't want you to do this to begin with. Exactly. Right? And so, yeah, it's just, it's presumptuous and it's... Entitled. It's entitled and it's taking her agency away, which people kept doing over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, so I hadn't thought about that quite as much as as I did in this read-through of just being like kind of frustrated with that as you know all too well the first time we ever kissed you asked me i did beforehand and then i laughed at you because i was taking my shoes off and i'm like why are you asking me this question right now it was the moment (laughs) apparently it worked didn't it (laughs) yeah because if if you hadn't have asked right in that one moment, <laughs> everything would have been different. Exactly. <laughs> um, and yeah, just thinking about how differently it feels, I think when a boy is doing that to a girl, mm. because boys are always forcing themselves on girls. So yeah, that, that consent is really important and... Maybe, you know, I would feel a little bit differently if she was, like, sending all the most obvious signals intentionally trying to get him to read it this way. She was doing none of that. Yeah. She never sent him any signals. Mm-hmm. And even so, signals can be misread. So, again, ask, clarify, and get consent. Yes. But, um, yeah, just, it, it very much rubs me the wrong way. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, like some people find that sort of thing very romantic, but culturally we've hopefully moved past that as an idea of romance. And yes, very particularly honing in on what are the dynamics that are going on here, because yeah, the the first time with my ex-girlfriend we ever kissed, like she did just kiss me, mm. but it still felt very different because there are different dynamics going on you know yeah yeah, so i think in addition to the interpersonal individual level that you're talking about there is that these things are connected this is probably why women can feel the need to diminish themselves to not be threatening to a man's ego because there are so many men who are so defensive about that and so assertive of their masculinity in these ways and that for me is is you know as a man something that i've tried to become more and more mindful of like as as a white passing straight man when i take up room it's not only taking up room from others but it's also putting my own comfort my own perceptions of that environment above others and in a way that might be contributing to an environment that, that does make people feel like they need to diminish themselves based off their race or their background or their culture. You know, one, one of the ways that I think about this as a teacher is when I have international students mm-hmm. who will apologize about their English because uh, it's not their first language. And I always tell them the fact that you are here doing a degree in a second language is impressive. Mm. It's not something to apologize yeah. for. But I feel like, yeah, they, they are have been put into, especially in academia, these environments where they feel like they have to. And it's just it's it's just something to be cognizant of. And Gail is not cognizant of it. <laughs> no, no, he's not. Yeah. Not here, at least. Because it's not like she was excited about this kiss. She sat underneath a tree for hours 
and just didn't even know how to feel about it. That's not a good response. Yeah. And also, you don't grab somebody after, in general, and also after they've come out of the Hunger Games. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a way to get yourself killed. Yeah. And just, like, traumatizing them, potentially. Exactly. Yeah. But why don't we go into our wonderments? This is a section where we are ruminating on certain things, where we have lingering questions that weren't answered. So what are you thinking about? Yeah, I was wondering what mechanisms exist that make Gale need to work in the mines rather than hunt. Mm. Because that is another way that he could try to provide for his family, though obviously it is illegal. It's something they've done daily for the majority of their lives. But now that he's not in school, could he have used that time in that way? And, and I like the fact that he can't because it highlights how work and labor can exist as another form of control mm-hmm. when, especially in our society, it's often seen as a form of agency where you choose <laughs> to work. Yeah, I just, I wonder what exactly those mechanisms of control are. Earlier you are talking about how people have official domiciles, like official places where they can live. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you also get assigned an official job, essentially, or they make sure that you have a job of some sort, particularly if you're an able-bodied young man who can work in the mines, which is District 12's main industry. But yeah, I just, I wonder what that looks like. Is unemployment illegal <laughs> in Panem? I mean, it probably is if you don't starve to death. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's that right? too. Like, but... as long as you're not surviving, clearly they know that this illegal hunting is going on. Mm-hmm. But they don't care enough to do anything about it because it's not widespread in the district because it's not replacing the labor that they would do mm-hmm. for the capital. But if he just didn't go and work in the mines, he went and hunted, he is now living in several ways outside the capital's control and they would just never allow that. And then more and more people would try to learn how to do these same things. Absolutely. And also it is putting him and his family in a more precarious situation because if sometime they just decide we're just going to turn the electric fence on full time, now he hasn't been working all of this time and are there enough spots? Does, you know, can he get a job there? You know, who knows? Yeah, exactly. So... It just opens up more questions about the specific ways in which people of District 12 are controlled by the capital and policed by the capital in their activities along with their labor. Yeah. Another thing I was wondering about was Katniss mentions that one of the feelings that she gets just from hearing Peter's voice, you know, besides longing, but one <laughs> of the feelings is... <laughs> the main... The main one. The right? main one that you think about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of the ones that she feels is fear. And Mm. I was wondering what that fear meant. Is it an element of PTSD itself? Is it that hearing his voice brings her back to the time when they were fighting for survival in the Hunger Games? Mm -hmm. Or is it a more emotional fear, a fear of hurting or losing him, a fear Mm -hmm. of him no longer caring for her because of their circumstances, right? I, I just, I'm curious as to what, what it would be like if she explored that fear further hmm. and kind of the, the dimensions of what that fear means for her. So I guess I will, I will keep an eye out for other things that she fears 
through the book, I think, um, mm-hmm. just because that did jump out at me. Yeah, I wonder if she would also fear if she doesn't do a good enough job mm. at convincing the capital snow or you know any of these things yeah it means that she's in danger again mm-hmm. that he's in she, danger again yeah, yeah yeah what about you what were your wonderments yeah i was also thinking about Peta because the cookies that katniss's mom offers to snow were decorated by Peta, mm-hmm. and so I'm just wondering, is he still working at his parents' bakery just to help them out? Mm. I always imagined he just made them at home and decorated them. But I also kind of think Peta being who he is, he wouldn't want to not buy from his parents' bakery. Mm. And and if he does it the best and people would buy more from their bakery, especially now that he's a victor, you know, and he decorated them, like if he is still going and working there sometimes and and helping out even if he knows how to make all this stuff at home if he's doing it there or if he is buying things from them to help financially support them even though he's not living there anymore oh yeah that's interesting and if he's bringing them to Katniss's family and Haymitch you know it just kind of makes me wonder is he bringing them to anyone else like Mm -hmm. some of his other friends to Deli Cartwright also kind of was wondering about both him and Katniss why they don't give any of their extra money to families in the seam to kids who are malnourished and starving to death especially since it's one of the only times that Katniss did feel good about winning the games was when these kids got extra food and so yeah I was just wondering is it out of fear that they know that that's not going to be allowed and that they may be watched and the capital would frown upon them redistributing their wealth. Maybe Katniss. Is she trying to stockpile everything in case she does die and so that whatever she had received up until that point that they didn't use, her mom and Prim would have. Mm, yeah. So yeah, I'm just wondering about those things since the injustices seem to matter to them. Mm-hmm. Now that they have these resources, how are they living differently in District 12 than they were previously? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Katniss is going to the hob and buying things she doesn't necessarily need. So Making sure she goes to each stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clearly, they are doing certain things that they didn't do previously. But yeah, I'm just wondering to what extent are some of these other things happening that we just don't see or... Is the food parcels that they get enough for them so mm. that those kids, none of them have to put their name in for Tesserae? Like, I, I just I have no idea. Yeah, so, yeah, I was wondering the same thing. I want to know. Okay, Phil Collins. <laughs> the only other one I'll mention right now, just quickly, is when Snow says some of his advisors thought that Katniss would be difficult. Mm. And I'm like, who are Snow's advisors? Mm, Yeah, that's a good question. What do you advise him on? He's been in this position for so long. You know, I don't know. There's this, it's, it's puzzling. I just think about Or is he lying? I thought, you know, we would make it easier to not (laughs) lie to each other. Clearly you're already lying. (laughs) Oh my God. When he holds up his finger while he's reading the book and Mm. she walks in, I'm just like, 
I despise you. <laughs> He's so annoying. You say no to snow? I will always say no to snow, <laughs> both as a weather element and also in context of these books. Yes. No, thank you. Mm-mm. Well, should we move into our intentions? We should. So these are just things that we are kind of taking with us from these chapters into our own lives. I think my intention is, especially after your conversation there about what they do with their resources. I think I want to be more intentional about spending my money locally. I do think that there's a an important element of where you spend your money and preferring to do so for your own community and communities that need to and not just Amazon. Amazon, McDonald's, you know, these mega corporations that exist. What about you? What's your intention? I think mine is just kind of appreciating the level of agency that I do have Hmm. in this capitalist system, considering all of my massive intersections. I don't have as much agency as it would be nice to have. Mm -hmm. But compared to Katniss, just seeing how she just doesn't get to give consent to all of these different things that are happening to her that people are forcing on her. Especially in men. Ear yeah, and, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's just every little choice that I get to make, even if it's still in a framework that <laughs> dictates certain things, mm-hmm. like is still something that is a privilege compared to what a lot of people have. Yeah, that's a good paradigm to have. Okay, well, I think that is going to wrap up this week's discussion. So what's happening next time on The Hunger Games? So we are going to be reading chapters three and four, where we return to lights, camera, kissing. (laughs) Audio by Chris. Oh, yeah, they definitely need to know who was doing that. (laughs) The two of us. Just in case anyone was If it's someone's first episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And we hope that you join us at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines to become a supporter of the podcast. Yeah, we just recently had our live meetup with our patrons on. It was so much fun. Yeah, it really was. So if you want to join the next one for the end of Catching Fire, and if you want to keep up with all the discussions we're having till then, please, please join us there. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find your designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.